Amen. Good morning, church. Good to see everybody. Thanks for joining us online. We're excited to continue our Jericho Walls series. And uh, I pray that you were encouraged by that last song, especially. Fear cannot survive when we praise you. It's what a weapon, what a weapon it is against fear. And that's what this series is about, being courageous. And uh, we're going to get a definition of courage today. And it might be a little different than what you think. Sometimes people think courage is someone who's not afraid. But I think we're going to find a little bit more about that today as we jump in officially to the book of Joshua, as we start our climb or hike or march, whatever you want to call it, up to Jericho to see the walls come down. We, we leverage the illustration of the Jericho walls of our life being walls that we've put up against other people due to fear, due to anxiety, due to anger, due to bitterness. Um, but we've also talked about the walls that people have put up against the things of God due to not wanting to submit to them or, or rebellion. And, and, and God has been so clear, especially for us, his children, to say, hey, two things. Stay focused. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do anything, do those two things. But it's a time period where loving your neighbor as yourself has gotten more and more difficult. In fact, if you go to a typical neighborhood, the idea of loving your neighbor is, is getting harder in the fact that your neighbor might disagree with you. Your neighbor might look at the world a little bit differently. Your neighbor might be treating you poorly. And don't just think about people who live next to you. I want you to think, college student, about somebody in your class this past semester that maybe you're going to have to deal with in the future semester this fall. I want you to think, young person, about the person who is at the playground with you during recess or, or somebody that's near you during the day. I want you to think, senior saint, about who's down the hallway in your retirement home. I mean, our neighbor, we defined, is anyone the Lord puts in our path and if you notice something, the illustration Jesus leveraged about his neighbor, who was the better neighbor, Jesus said, was a person who was in pain. We talked about the Samaritan stopping by the person hurting on the road, and Jesus said, that's how a neighbor loves. Do you know somebody in pain? Do you know somebody who's hurting? What if God wants to use you to be the one to knock a wall down of fear or worry or I don't know what they'll think of me and go, I'm gonna lean into that and love my neighbor. If I were in pain, I'd want someone to love me. I wanna seek to do that. You know, it's great being in a neighborhood where you get to share some things with your neighbors that you might not have that they have. Especially when you're younger, you love when your neighbor puts in a swimming pool. They say that's the best kind of swimming pool to have, by the way, is your neighbor's swimming pool. Then you'll have to take care of it, right? But if you have a swimming pool, you probably are the hub or Grand Central Station come summer for people who would love to use your swimming pool because it's great when your neighbor has something that you don't have because it's like you get to benefit from it, at least if you're good to your neighbor and your neighbor enjoys you. Well, I had buddies growing up in my neighborhood. I grew up in 9th Street in Percocy. And one of my neighbors, and I'm going to date myself here, but one of my neighbors got a video game system before me. It was the Nintendo. Oh, my word, that game helped raise me. 
Sega was okay. I did the boink boink with Atari. And, and the younger generation, you're listening to me right now, you have no idea what it was like to see video game characters move. And when we got this Nintendo system, I mean, like there was a joy in me, unspeakable joy. <laughs> Especially when my buddy got the game, ready? Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Man, I love this game. And look at the graphics, young people, look at them. I mean, incredible graphics. But you were this Little Mac, okay? You were the fighter Little Mac, and you had to go through a series of fights. Oh, lots of fights. And you faced many different characters. And here's a few of them. And you got to fight all these guys. Like this big guy with the big mouth, go back a second. I want to stay on him. He, he, he's got, he would go, um, um, and you have to hit him in the stomach while his mouth is open. It was all about timing. And we didn't have our special R1, R2s and all that. We had A and B, up, down, left, right. That's all we got. Our thing was like a box, okay? And I, I, I swear, right around 1980 or so, the world's thumbs got stronger, right? Because of video games and then eventually cell phones, right? But, but we would play this game and I would be at my neighbor's house playing and playing and playing and fighting over whose turn it was because the goal was to get to Mike Tyson. And young people, we didn't have your little save options where we could start the game where we were. We had to beat the stinking thing or we had to go back and refight these people. And so the stress and anxiety and pressure, and the mom's like, come to dinner. No, don't talk to me that way. Mom, you don't understand. I am in the middle of a fight. Oh man, do we play that game. And if you got to Mike Tyson, the fear that came over you when he stepped into the ring. Oh, he'd come down and the music would change. You, you, were in the, you were in the back and your trainer was like rubbing your shoulders. And if Mike Tyson hit you, you kind of went like clear and like, right? And, and you could barely, and, and down you go. And, and he'd knock you out so fast. Is he fighting behind me right now? Yeah, he is. I can tell because you're not looking at me at all. And, 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 and he, if he took you out, okay, down you go and you couldn't get back up from it. So you had to get the combo right. Hey, B, 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 A. No, 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 left, then go, then go. And you had to get these right. Today, oh, we're not playing Mike Tyson's punch out, all right? It's a silly game. It's been, it's been retroed out, right? I think if you play um, Smash Brothers, there's a little Mac in Smash Brothers now with a combo. It's been all retroed out, all that different stuff, but we're not in that kind of fight. But make no mistake, we're in a fight, and it's, it's an invisible fight at times because it often occurs inside our head. And, and the first wall in our series that we want to take down is this wall called anxiety. And it's an epidemic in our country, and it's an epidemic in our time period. There are people who are slaves to fear, and it's wrecking their lives, it's wrecking relationships, it's wrecking their neighborhoods. How can we live as people who are free and encourage those who might have a struggle with anxiety? I'm gonna give out three real big, huge keys on battling anxiety, but I'm gonna give you one free in case you struggle paying attention, all right? Here's a free one. Here's how, I got, I got this way to battle anxiety, okay? It's this thing right here, you see this? 
It's amazing. I want you to do this. It's amazing. This is going to crush anxiety in your life. There's a button here and a button here. You press them together and hold. Watch that, okay? And then right here, slide that over. That's amazing. I'm like a different person. It's off. We weren't made to be on call 24-7. We weren't made to know the weather systems overseas. We, weren't, we don't have that capacity. You know, we don't have thunderstorms anymore, right? I mean, like, it is like constant, right? We weren't made to be constantly interrupted. We have a certain capacity. Lord knows we were made from dust. And if we try to solve all the world's problems on top of try to keep up with everybody on social media, on top of try to make sure you get more followers, on top of making sure you post something today, you put so much unnecessary stress right into your life. And you want to know one of the other accelerators of anxiety? Caffeine. And what does our world love? What does Pastor Chris love? Caffeine. And we sometimes are doing it to ourselves. But those are symptomatic, folks. I can give you five-step plans all over the internet on how to battle anxiety with symptoms. Nothing wrong with that. Make no mistake. But there's a better way. And it's found in faith and in courage. And I pray today the wall of anxiety will begin to come down as I give you some scripture passages and as we close today, a combo. What? Oh yeah. A combo that you can use in your fight that can punch and even knock out anxiety. Do you believe that can happen? As someone who has struggled with anxiety in his life, there are a lot of people with anxiety who do not believe they can actually conquer it. They think this is going to be something that cripples them for their entire life. I pray today this passage will inspire you to think differently. Heavenly Father, use your word today. Speak clearly through your word. Remove this place from all distractions, Lord, that the enemy may not have anything that deters us from hearing your word. For anxiety is real, and it's a struggle, and it's one the Apostle Paul even shared he had. Therefore, he wrote so much about it, about his anxieties, even over the churches. Most likely, that Corinthian church weighed heavy on Paul's mind. And so, Lord, if this is something we're going to face, if this is a wall that might be built up in someone's life, if it's a wall that has even crippled somebody, I pray today you would use this sermon to encourage them. And we'll pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, where did we start last week? Well, we were exploring Canaan, right? We had 12 spies who went out and they went to examine the land and, and see if this was something that the Israelites can conquer. The only problem was God already promised it to them. All they had to do was obey. And so Moses, listening to the people's commands and then being allowed by God to do it, sends out 12 spies into the land of Canaan, the promised land. And they investigate whether the trees are there, whether the people are tall or small in strongholds or in, in camps. And as they look around, they come back with two different responses. The 10 say, we can't go. No way. This isn't our game. We can't do this. And the two say, let's go. Let's not rebel against God. Let's move forward and let's go into what God has for us. And Moses has a choice. Do we think like the 10? Or do we think like the two? The 10 see the obstacles. The 10 see the difficulty. The 10 see the what ifs. Do you tend to think like that? The two see God is with us. 
He's given us his word. Let's go. Which do you think like? The 10 or the two? Well, which did they go with? The 10. They didn't go. And they would spend 40 years under God's discipline in the wilderness. Joshua and Caleb too, who were faithful. Do you ever know this? Sometimes you can be faithful and obedient, but because you're in the midst of a group, you get drug into it as well. And so Joshua misses out for 40 years on time he could have been in the promised land because of the people's lack of faithfulness. Towards the end of those 40 years, scripture says Moses died. Moses was told he would not be entering into the promised land. And now he's dead. Imagine being Joshua for a minute and your hero is gone. This is the guy who mentored him. This is the guy who led him. This is the guy who built him into who he is today. And he's gone. Think about it. This was the guy he watched confront Pharaoh. This was the guy who parted the Red Sea. This was the guy who probably told him stories about back in Egypt when he was in Pharaoh's house. This is the guy who climbed Mount Sinai and he's gone. Do you know one of the number one times anxiety can hit? After a loss. Young person, maybe you go, I don't really feel that much anxiety in my life. And then you had your first girlfriend and you broke up and you just got your first sucker punch by anxiety. Maybe, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's college and for the first time you realized this is going to be a lot harder than I thought and you got your first sucker punch by anxiety. Maybe your boss died and the whole company looks at you and goes, we want you to run it and you get your first sucker punch by anxiety and it hits you and you're stunned and all of a sudden now all these thoughts start coming into your mind. Kind of like butterflies, right? But, but they're all around and now you've got a choice to make. Am I going to think about all these thoughts or am I going to stay focused and continue to move forward? It seems as if Joshua has been really stunned by this because the book of Numbers tells us he is 30 days mourning the loss of Moses. But on top of that, the Lord kind of has to come and get his attention, you say, really? Yeah, and, and the counsel God gives him is not counsel of somebody who is like, I got this. It seems as if God's coaching someone who doesn't feel they got it. A lot has changed in 40 years. And I want you to hear how God counsels his servant Joshua because there is a reason Joshua 1.9 is one of the most memorized verses in all of scripture. There's a reason. Because people can associate with what Joshua was possibly feeling. Scripture says this, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, hey, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. He's dead. It's almost like, it's almost like God needed to give him some closure. I wonder how much it was, oh man, Maybe like one of the things we could do is, I wonder how much hesitation, I wonder how much difficulty, we talked about last week what fear does. Fear makes us hesitate. Fear makes us question. Fear makes us second guess. Fear leads to hiding. Fear leads to anger. Fear leads to frustration. But mourning? 
Mourning can be such a difficult process and it's like God comes alongside Joshua and says, hey, Moses is dead. Now therefore arise. He says, go over to the Jordan into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Go over to this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Now, I I highlighted I am giving. This is interesting. Now, that text is obviously English, but underneath Old Testament English is what? It's It's not Greek, it's Hebrew, right? So the Old Testament, we translate from Hebrew. And in Hebrew, this is written in what's called perfect tense. It appears 24 times perfect tense in this book of Joshua in the area of giving. What does that mean? What does that mean to us? It means it's already given. I'm not gonna give it to you. I am already have given it to you. You gotta go take possession of it. It's yours Go get it. And on top of that, God says, every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, Joshua, every place your soul treads, I'm giving to you. Just as I promised Moses, I'm promising you. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. All of it. Do you have a picture? All this green area is going to be your territory. Everywhere. Just go get it. Go forward in this promise. But it seems Joshua is in a little bit of a different place. It, it seems that Joshua has begun to look at the obstacles. It begins to seem that Joshua has now begun to look at the uncertainties. It seems that Joshua is now starting to look at the obstacles, difficulties, and uncertainties in ways he hadn't before. I wonder, and I, I, I kind of marked this in my, in my notes, I wonder, did he possibly have running through his head, you're no Moses, Let me put it in modern language. You know, you're not your dad. You start in this business, but you aren't what your dad was. You know, your precious husband that just loves you and you're running around on your honeymoon, he's gonna find out you don't cook like your mom. See, don't we sometimes get haunts about who we're taking over for sometimes? You're not like who you're taking over for. I wonder. It's not in scripture, it's just me thinking about this, but I went through something very similar to this in my own life as I took this position. And I remember multiple times, I get this little voice in my head. You know, Chris, you're not what they were. And it would sucker punch me at the weirdest times, often right before I go out to speak. Anybody who's ever taught from the word of God has had some kind of thought that went, you know nobody wants to hear this after you were so excited studying it. 
and you got to fight these thoughts. I wonder how much Joshua was fighting because Joshua 1.5 gives three things God says to him. And Joshua 1.9 is often memorized, but don't sleep on Joshua 1.5. God is providing counsel. And, and, and I think I can witness somebody who is struggling with fear and being afraid and feeling weak because of the counsel given. Have you ever noticed when you listen to someone's counsel, it gives you a big description of what they're dealing with? For example, there's not too many people when Kobe Bryant was in his heyday that told him, hey, we want you to be super competitive out there and really try to win. He didn't need that counsel. He was ultra competitive and would rather die than, than lose a game. He wanted to always win. That's why he was so adored by those who followed his, his career. Joshua is a warrior. But the advice to this warrior is to be strong and courageous. So God gives him this counsel. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. What? Go into the territory. No person's going to stop you. Second, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. You know, just the God you saw, the same God of Moses, the same God of Abraham will be the same God with you, Joshua. And on top of that, I will not leave you or forsake you. I, I've written here, was Joshua struggling with, will I be able to overcome the obstacles ahead of me? No man will stand before you. Will, will I be empowered despite all my weaknesses? Just as I was with Moses. Will I be betrayed and dismayed like Moses was? I will never leave you nor forsake you, Joshua. You know, in seasons where we feel like we're being enslaved to fear, it's most likely because you're facing these three things. Difficulties, incapabilities, and uncertainties. Often the times when we're most enslaved by our fears, it's because we are asked to do something difficult. We are faced with something we feel we can't do or control. And that's where the uncertainty comes. We desperately long for control. And when we realize we don't have it, the fear comes in. And it seems that Joshua has hit this spot some 40 years after he said, let's go, eating grapes, let's go. He's now going, okay, okay. And Joshua 1.6 says, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Come on, be strong, have faith in me, Joshua. Here's something I want you all to learn about faith. This quote's been accredited to a lot of different people, but I love this, it's this, faith, okay? Let's just put the word up there, faith. It makes things possible, but it does not make things easy. See, oftentimes we want the easiest path, but you will learn the things that take faith are the most difficult things. And you have a choice. Am I going to move forward in faith and do the hard right thing, or am I going to move forward in fear and do the easy wrong thing? What in your life are you being called or inspired to do for God that you've been making excuses for and not doing? And, and you, you've got some good justifications of why you haven't started it yet. 
You've got some reasons you haven't confronted that issue. You've got some really good plans that are alternative to what you feel led to do. And, you, and, you're, and you're thinking it's wisdom when it could possibly just be fear. And the reason you haven't gone out and gotten that, the reason you haven't moved forward is not because it's too hard. It's not because you're not sure if it'll work out. It's because that fear is enslaving you. And God's answer to that was be strong and courageous. Move forward. This counsel was because he was weak and afraid. If you're here today and go, I want to be more of a Joshua. Well, then your first step is to be weak and afraid. You go, well, I can do that. You're headed towards a Joshua. Because Joshua is weak and afraid. And so God comes back, Joshua 1.7, and says this. Only be strong and very courageous. I want you to be careful to do according all to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Stay focused on the law. What's that? God's word. This is your path. Don't be making up your scenarios and your what ifs. Be careful to obey this. Be very courageous, but be very obedient. Do not turn, he says, from, it, from the right hand to the left hand, that you might have good success wherever you go. Part of your success will be Staying close and knowing the word of God. This book of the law, it shall not depart from your mouth. I want you to talk about it, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Not some of what's written in it, all of what's written in it. We live in a time period that wants to take scripture and use it like a, a document where you can pull out certain verses. God's always throughout scripture saying, I want you to follow all of this. All scripture is God breathed and profitable. Well, I don't really, I struggle with this one. All scripture, not some of it. And it's gonna take tremendous courage to stand for the word of God, especially in our time period. Do according to all of it. And if Joshua is hesitant at this point, God comes with your favorite verse from Joshua. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord is with you wherever you go. There are some powerful truths that if that's true for us today, that's a game changer in your prayer life. That's a game changer for your next step of faith. That's a game changer in how you view the world and its troubles. And that is a knockout punch to anxiety if that verse is true. Do you believe that verse is true? Do you really believe that verse is true? Because there's a lot of people who would sit in church and go, yeah, God's with me wherever they go. But that's not how they pray. That's not how they make decisions. That's not how they move forward and that's not how they talk. But they say the verse is true. But they don't apply that verse as truth. Well, Chris, it's an Old Testament passage. It had some context to it. And it was like, if you're thinking about hermeneutics and the study of scripture that I would apply just to Joshua, but you can follow these principles all throughout the New Testament. Because those things are true for the New Testament believer. 
I, I wrote my journal because I like to, I don't always share what I write down, um, but sometimes I like to do this because I'm like, wow, there seems like I'm just watching how I counsel people, I think, as a pastor sometimes because I can see what they're possibly battling with. So I just wrote down for myself, what was Joshua possibly dealing with? God said, I'll never leave you. Was fear saying to Joshua, no one's with you. You're going to be all alone. These people, they're going to turn on you. You're all alone, Joshua. I wonder. Uh, God said, no one can stop you. Was fear saying, your enemies are going to stop you? Was his experience saying, there is no way. I saw the walls of Jericho. I say we go in, but oh my word, there is no possible way to knock those walls down, humanly speaking, with the technology we currently have. God said, be sure to do it my way. Was fear saying to Joshua, maybe try it this way. I know God might be leading, I know what scripture says, but maybe we should try it this way. I think this might be a little more socially acceptable if we try it this way. Now, now God said, be not dismayed. Was fear saying, you have no hope? Anxiety loves to throw that thought into your head. You have no hope. You're never gonna get out of this. And, and then God said, be strong and courageous. Was fear saying, you are just weak and afraid. You see, when it comes to the wall of anxiety, it's a battle in the mind. But I noted three things about these first nine verses of Joshua. Who God chose, he went with. Who God chose, he stayed with. And who God chose, he equipped to get the job done. That speaks to a person like myself who's in a leadership position that makes decisions that lots of people are affected by to know that who God chooses to lead at times, he goes with, he stays with, and he equips. Because there's so many times in leadership, there's so many times in management, there's so many times in decision making. There's a reason people don't want to be the coach, they want to be the assistant. There's a reason our youth programs can't find umpires right now. Because no one really wants to deal with some of the sauce that comes with it. And also, they're not sure they're equipped to handle all the pushback of the current society where you make a decision and it shows up online and there's 7,000 comments that go with it. I don't know if I'm equipped. If God called you to do it, he's going to equip you to do it. But it's going to demand what? That I'm tough? Nope. It's going to demand that I'm awesome? Nope. It's going to demand what? that I'm weak and afraid, you're getting closer. It's gonna demand courage. And make no mistake, courage is not the absence of fear. But biblical courage is choosing to obey despite the fear. God, I'm gonna do what you asked me to do despite the fear. You see, you don't find out if you're courageous unless you're afraid. I had a chance to go on a, a school field trip on Friday, and we're headed up a roller coaster during tornado warnings. And <laughs> as we're headed up, we're about halfway there, and the young man next to me said, you, you think we're almost to the top? And I said what every good, affirming leader wants to do. I said, man, not even close, man. What, really? Yeah, did you hear that? What was that? No, I didn't do that to him. Wanted to, but I've learned. I said, oh yeah, we're gonna be fine. Wait till the ride down, it's gonna be awesome. And life is full of ups and downs. 
And there's full of great joys and it's full of great difficulties. But make no mistake, there are going to be seasons in your life where you're just going click, 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 click. Oh man, click, click, oh no. Click, click, oh boy. Click, click, did you see that? Click, click, what was that? Did you hear that? There's going to be seasons like that. And it's going to demand courage to just stay the course. I've learned just in these first first nine verses that the first key to success over fear is this, that God is with you, child of God. Throughout scripture, you will see his answer to those who are afraid is, hey, I'm with you. But the second one I'm seeing as a key to success over fear is obedience to God's word. And that is all throughout this text. You say, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I quick step into seminary for a second and show you something called a chiastic structure that is in Hebrew literature? It's a principle where parallel passages work their way down to the main point of the account. And in the first, or excuse me, in verses five, six, seven, eight, and nine, there's a chiastic structure in the Hebrew that shows you what the main point is for Joshua in the way it's written. I share this because you may have picked up on something. Did it sound repetitive? Be strong, courageous, be strong. I'm with you, I'm with you. That was intentional by the writer. Watch this. The first is the let A, okay? That's the first level. He says, I will be with you in verse five. And then again, the Lord your God is with you, verse nine. The second level is the B level, okay? Be strong and courageous, you read in verse six, seven. And then again in verse nine, be strong and courageous. Then you get to the C level. That you may have success, verse seven. That you will have success again in verse eight. And so when you get to the male, this is the main point. The first key to battling fear and anxiety is God is with you, child of God. The second one is obedience to God's word. This book of the law, shall not depart from you. Meditate on it day and night. The more scripture you have, the more you have to fight anxiety in your life. What is this wall of anxiety? It's defined this way. A feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease. Typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. It can come out of nowhere. You're walking through your day and boom, it hits you with a comment somebody says or a report a doctor gives back or a comparison you saw on Facebook or somebody you wish you were but you don't feel like you are on danger that just went across the bottom of the screen saying breaking news. Anxiety can come at any moment and before you know it you're in the fight of your life and it can happen to anybody fight night can start at any moment and you have to have some keys and if you think this is only for like weak people the apostle paul constantly talked about his anxieties and that's why some of our best scripture about anxiety is guess what found in the pauline epistles for he understood anxiousness and anxiety. It's especially occurring amongst leadership in our culture right now. I don't know if you know the name Sean Johnson, but he is the lead pastor of Red Rocks Church. 
to thousands and thousands of people go to this church, but what many people don't know was his battle with anxiety and depression. I'm holding his book because he wrote about it. It's one of the more practical, vulnerable, and honest books I've ever written, read, excuse me, on the subject. He's back in ministry, but he talks about debilitating anxiety that forced him to the side of the road, having given up his job and saying, I don't want to go back to it. It was getting so bad that he was done hiding it and it became very exposed. And this was a guy that anybody would look at and say he's got the world on his shoulders. He's a good looking guy, he's an athlete, he's got this huge successful organization and he's struggling with crippling anxiety. He says in this book, and I won't ruin it for you, but he says there was a moment where it came to a head on an airplane. Airplanes can get you sometimes. He said, I'm sitting there, I wanted to go visit my daughter. We wanted to fly, my wife is there, we wanted to go see her so bad, and I'm getting this moment of, oh my word, the whole plane's closing in on me. And he goes, and I stand up, just to get a breath for a minute. And the, wait- and the stewardess comes by and says, sir, you need to sit down, the plane's gonna fly, it's gonna take off soon. I, I just need a minute, I'll sit down, just need a minute. He said, she goes off, he goes, and I think I tricked her. And I'm trying to sit down. My wife's going, sweetheart, please sit down. Please, please sit down. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to, I'm going to be fine. He said, before you know it, another stewardess comes up and he goes, you'll ever notice that people are not that patient on airplanes. And I've got an entire plane looking at me like, really? He said, I try to sit down. I can't. Anxiety's coming all over me. And before you know it, he said, the pilot is walking down. He says, sir, you need to get off the plane. We, we just want to see our daughter. He just needs a minute. You need to get off the plane. He said, I'm walking my wife through one of the most embarrassing moments of her life. We get up and we stand the plane. As we're walking out, they kind of notice them. They were kind of a put together couple, okay? And so it's kind of odd that they're behaving this way. There's certain people that you can judge sometimes. You're like a wonder, but no, they're, they're having trouble with figuring him out. What is this guy about? And so they stop him, he tells you in the book, because they think maybe he placed something in luggage underneath the plane. And the pilot says, you're gonna wait here until we clear this off. And so they had to taxi the plane back. He had to stand there with his wife in the front of the plane with all those people because of his anxiety. He said it was one of the lowest moments of his life. That tells me there's a lot of people hiding anxiety. (laughs) Or at least they think they're hiding it. And they're in the fight of their life and they need tools. Can I give you a couple tools that when I've battled this at times in my life, I've used? I'm gonna tell you, when you get into a fight, you've got to have this verse. It's found in 2 Corinthians 10, verses three through five. Here's the verse. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. This is not a human on human fight. This is a supernatural battle. Scripture's telling you. And we're not waging war in the flesh like in our human bodies. That's not what we're doing. We're fighting in our head. Anxiety is in the head. It's a head game. It's thoughts that are swirling and spinning. You've been hit with something and it's spinning. And he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. There's some strongholds we have that have not been surrendered to God in our thought life at times, and anxiety goes right after them. Strongholds like I am what people say and think about me. Strongholds like I am what I do 
for a living. Strongholds like I find my identity in this. Strongholds that the enemy goes, I'm going after that. And we gotta fight with divine weapons. What are they? We destroy, he says, arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. You're gonna spend a lot of time in our culture hearing lofty opinions saying the Bible is archaic. You can't trust that thing. Anything old is not worthy of following. In fact, in parts, it's offensive. You're gonna hear comments raised up like theories and other contradictions to scripture. You're gonna hear, how can God do that and how can God do that? And if you don't have the word of God hidden in your heart, you can't fight, you're gonna get knocked around by those. But if you have God's word, you can destroy arguments and lofty opinions, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's a cool concept. Do you take thoughts captive, or do you let them swirl all night? From somebody who has let thoughts swirl, and had his wife go, where are you right now? Where are you? Nothing. What did that text say? Have you learned to take thoughts captive? One of the keys is having a verse like this written down, okay? You write 2 Corinthians, uh, what do we got? 10, three through five. I'm gonna take that, I'm gonna put that in my jar, okay? I'm gonna start taking thoughts captive. They're not allowed to just swim around in my head. I call it the firefly principle. Have you ever seen the backyard on the night in the summer with all the fireflies flying around? Yeah, it's crazy. And then the kids run out and they get their jars and they start catching them, right? And they start getting these fires and they put them in here. Give me, give me, you, you get, give. And you put them all, all in here. And this is the idea. You need to catch these thoughts that are swirling. Counselors will call them looping thoughts and hit a clog called the word of God and say, no, that's not true. No, you're not allowed to swim in my head. You go in under the obedience of Christ and you capture that thought. And that is one of the first paths to battling anxious thoughts is to acknowledge they're there and they're swimming and they need to be brought under control. For anxiety has a lot to do with lacking self-control in our thinking. That's why Paul says, whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever's noble, Think on those things. Many of us think on whatever's terrifying, whatever's crazy, whatever's awful. Doesn't say think on those things. Take those thoughts captive. But then how will I, what, say it. Control my future. Go ahead and say it. Control my future without God. Yeah, he's going after that stronghold of you trying to be in control of your future. Place it captive. And then, Get ready to fight because we got to renew our mind. It's one thing to take the thought captive. It's another to start sticking some verses in there that they have to obey when those thoughts come. You're going to have to obey some verses I've got memorized. And so the fight starts and you begin to renew your mind. That's the whole power of transforming our minds is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's not his will for me. That's not God speaking. That's a lie. You've got to find it because the first round is the adversary. Oh, he comes in hot. The adversary, he likes to come at you with lines like this. You're dirty. You're unlovable. 
and you're disappointing. The adversary would love to drive home you're a disappointment to your parents. The adversary would love to drive home you're unlovable, look at you. The adversary would love to drive home you're dirty. If the people around you knew who you were, they wouldn't even let you in this church. That's what the adversary loves to do, child of God. And if you let him punch and punch, you find yourself not wanting to be around anybody. And isn't it interesting how it's always everyone else's fault? Not today, Satan. You blocked that punch with the word of God that I've been chosen. I'm actually dearly loved. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 says he chose in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. He chose me before I was even born. That means nothing I do could make him love me less. I'm chosen. You don't get to hit me today. Nice try, but I just took that thought captive that I'm dirty, I'm actually righteous. I just took that thought captive that I'm unlovable, I'm actually dearly loved by God. And you fight off the accuser by taking thoughts captive. But, but, then, but then the adversary, he got done with you, you got through that one, then the mocker comes. And he's like, he's like kinda just, he's dancing around a little bit. He's going, you're too weak, you're too afraid. Look at you, you act tough, I know what about you. I actually know you're, you're crying at night, I see it. He wants to point out all your weaknesses. You're too weak, you're too afraid, you're too incapable, and if you're not careful, you're gonna get hit by this guy, especially in middle school, okay? Boom, 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 stop, block it, block it, with what? This is a great verse. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect when you're weak. It's like God loves when we call on him and say, I feel weak, let's go, I'll fight. Because I am empowered by God. Oh, I might feel weak, but when I'm weak, he is strong. And so I brag about my weaknesses, Paul says, so that God is strong. Take that mocker and block it. Oh, but then the criticizer comes. I picked a girl for this one because girls, you have it so hard. Oh my goodness. Guys, you got it hard too, but girls, it's unbelievable. I've raised a daughter. I understand the pressures. I mean, you guys can't, you pick out an outfit, walk through school and like, oh, look who's wearing that. Who she think he is, right? You guys go through so much. And then summer comes, oh my goodness, you have so many pressures, right? You don't compare, you don't measure up, you don't add any value. You know how many people will scroll through Facebook looking at other mothers going, I wish I was a good mother, but you're only seeing everyone's highlights. They're freaking out too. We don't post that, and if we do, it's scary. We got a criticizer, we all do. And sometimes it's us. We're criticizing ourselves and these thoughts go through our head and we have to remember, wait a minute. Young girls from a dad, when you're walking through the grocery stores and all the magazines are telling you how you're supposed to look and all that stuff, you remember you are God's masterpiece. He loves you exactly the way you are and he tells you you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that you may walk in him. It doesn't matter what anybody says about you. You're who God wants you to be. And that don't speak volumes to the world, but it blocks anxiety and comparison traps. And guys struggle with them just as much as girls. 
Oh, you get through the criticizer, but the accuser's on the way and he's got a bunch of body blows. Look what you've done. How could you have? Shame on you. And if you've grown up in legalism and you got legalism wounds, all you hear is guilt. How could you? If you didn't, how shame on you. I can't believe that's not being happened. And I'm really disappointed in that. And you've got all these voices and they're just body blowing you all the time and they steal your joy because that's what the accuser wants to do. But you got to tell that accuser, I'm sorry. Last time I checked, scripture tells me that there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. God's not out to get me. God doesn't hate me. God's not disappointed in me. He actually loves me quite a bit. I'm guiltless in Jesus Christ. Anxiety will also send the deceiver. You're doomed. You have no hope. You will not survive this. And sadly, in ministry, I've seen this take lives with pills and decisions because they've listened to this voice far too long and life does throw us some heavy punches and they hurt so bad sometimes. But we've got to have this truth that you are an overcomer that this anxiety you might be feeling, it is a seasonal, it will pass. You're not going crazy. You're gonna get through this, but you're gonna have to take these thoughts captive, get in the game. Because little children, you're from God and you've overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And you need these to block and to take captive in your jar. You've got to have these verses to fight because the enemy wants to back you into the corner, back you into the corner, back you into the corner, back you into the corner. And we need something because I don't know about you, but I don't like just playing defense. I want to play a little offense. And so let me leave you with my triple combo. Triple combo. All P's, you'll remember it. Okay, so when Mike Tyson swings at you, you bounce to the left and you come back with boom, 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 all right? Here it is, triple combo. You say, what did we learn at church today? We learned how to fight. Not against people, against our thought life. You want the peace of God? Here's a triple combo for it. It's found in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer, by prayer. There's your first one, put up P, prayer. I'm, I, you are, you're a failure, you're too weak, you're never gonna make it. Lord, help me, whoa, I see you. Ooh, that kinda felt good. Lord, I need you. See, prayer is the ultimate weapon of the child of God. God, I need help, here it is, here's a thought, boom, I need to pray about this. But see, sometimes our prayers are informed by our lack of theology, and if we don't have good scripture, we start praying things that aren't necessarily even true for us or what God's will is for us. And that's why we have to pray, but we also have to, here's the next one, by prayer and supplication. You say, Chris, that's not a, that's not a P. But petition is, and I knew none of you would remember supplication, okay? Man, I gotta, I gotta get into supplication. Maybe you will. But petition, it means to ask. So the enemy comes along and says, you have no plans. And people are growing disappointed in you. 
college student out there, what are you going to do next September? I don't know. You have a lot of different options. I know. I know. God, help me. Help me pick three of my top schools. Boom. Whoa. We just heard you ask God for something specific. Yeah, it kind of felt good. That's a lot more fun than, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm such a failure. I don't even know why I'm going to do this. I don't even know what, I, I don't even, I can't even make a decision right now. In this, God, help me right now. Get my top three by the end of May. And now, now not only am I praying, I'm petitioning. And I'm bringing these requests to God. You know what I do? I get out my journal and I start writing my prayers out. I say, devil, you're going to keep me up with this thought? You just woke up a prayer warrior. Let's dance. And I start writing my prayers out. And they're crazy sometimes. I look at my prayers like, whoa. And they're so awesome to read three weeks later when God specifically answered it and you go, that's why I love writing these down so I can go back. There's many times in my prayer journal, I brought it out before our deacons and I go, look where I was praying right before that event three years ago and look how God delivered. Oh, it's awesome. And so I write them down. It makes me feel like I'm doing something instead of worrying. You want to keep a prayer warrior up? We stay up then. And what happens is, boom, boom, you're not going to, that was a bad decision, you should have done that. Pop, you stop, and then boom, you petition, and now you're standing firm. And if you want the devil to flee, what do you got to do in scripture? Stand firm. But you want the knockout punch? Yeah, give it to me. Here's the knockout punch. And this is why most people don't overcome anxiety. And this takes a huge step of faith for this last punch because many people are good at sometimes punching and even asking. But oftentimes we sometimes ask not in God's will. It's this last one that's the huge punch. Pray with thanksgiving. What? Pray with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God with thanksgiving. God, I don't know what I'm doing this fall. Help me. Give me a top three. Thank you for already picking my school out for me. What? Thank you that I can trust wherever I go. Thank you for a family that supports me. Thank you for all I do have. Thank you that I have the freedom and opportunity to do this. Thank you, Lord, for the people you've put around me in my life. Thank you, Lord, for my church where I can go hear the word of God on Sundays when there's countries right now that are still being locked in their houses. Thank you, Lord, for some of these wonderful material possessions I have. I act like I deserve them. Thank you, Lord. And when you begin to praise, turn the worship music on in the car. Turn the worship music on in your life. And when you begin to praise God, it's the sucker punch for anxiety. Worship. Because you're taking all of the focus off of yourself and you're putting on what you have. Because doesn't anxiety love to talk about everything you don't have? Doesn't anxiety love to talk about everything you can't control? Doesn't anxiety love to destroy your evening? I had a great brother in Christ say, hey, just because the devil got you with anxiety in the morning doesn't mean he gets the afternoon. But it's gonna take prayer petition and praise. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer, petition, praise. Faith, it makes things possible, but it doesn't make things easy. Courage, it's not the absence of fear, but choosing to obey despite your fear. Who do you know 
that you can be an encouragement to? Who can you get in the corner of in your neighborhood that might be struggling with fear? What do you have that you could possibly be a benefit to another? Because for every little Mac, he needs somebody in his corner coaching him on, rubbing his shoulders out and telling him the fight's scary. I mean, look at the trainer's eyes. (laughs) But with God, you can do it. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's obeying despite the fear. What wall do you need to knock down this week? Heavenly Father, use your word to bless and encourage everyone present. Lord, I feel really inadequate to preach this message because you know at times I can struggle with this as well. But I pray your verses, as they've encouraged my life, will encourage those listening today. That they would take these thoughts and make them captive to the scriptures. And that they would fight back. Oh, not a physical fight. But they'd fight back with the word of God. The triple combo of prayer, petitioning, And make no mistake, praise. May we be grateful for what we have versus disenfranchised for what we've lost. Thank you, Lord, for your truth, for this combo, and your word. Amen.